And the next day after the procedure, the bruise I had on my boob looked like someone had taken me and just punched me over and over again. And it was just uh, disgusting to look at. If you go to the website, not that you want to go look at disgusting things, there's actually a picture. It doesn't look anything like a nipple. It just looks like someone bruised the crap out of something. Hi, and welcome to Chemo Skinny, a podcast for couples dealing with breast cancer that answers the question, Is it true that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Because that always seemed kind of really stupid to us. Very stupid. This is my wife, Stephanie, an actress, a fitness instructor, and a woman who has survived breast cancer, thyroid cancer, and kidney cancer. Well done. As well as many friends asking, No, really? How are you doing? And this is my long-suffering husband, Colin, of almost a decade, a writer, a director, a occasional public radio contributor. I do not give them money, although perhaps I should. I do mini documentaries for them, which is part of the reason we thought, hey, a podcast. No one else has thought of that. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> oh, actually, I love how you call them mini documentaries. <laughs> it makes them feel, I like how you call them mini documentaries. It makes them so like... It gives them, it just, you know, it's like, I'm doing a story. No, I'm doing a mini documentary. The reason we're doing this podcast is because we went on a year and a half cancer ride and realized there wasn't a lot of information about how couples deal with this. And trust me, you will deal with an awful lot of stuff. Uh, Breast cancer isn't just a medical problem. Uh, And I read somewhere that uh, roughly 50% of couples who actually manage to make it through cancer and treatment and recovery end up breaking up, which terrified me. Yeah, well, we were in a slippery slope to begin with, so, (laughs) you know, yeah, decade in, but, you know. So we figured if you're starting down this very strange and terrifying road, hearing our story might help you. Yeah, you are not alone, and uh, it'll happen to you because it happened to us and it happened to an awful lot of other people, but... We're here to hopefully talk you through it and save your relationship. (laughs) I'm not promising this podcast will save your relationship, but it's a pretty good bet. You know, your relationship is a living thing, and this is a hurdle that at this point, according to statistics, you know, one in eight women will go through in their lives along with their partner. And for the record, we are never going to try to sell you anything. Oh, God, No, no. No healing crystals, no... Uh, no fish oil suppositories, none of that. Um, we don't have sponsors. However, if you're interested, no. you would be more than willing to pimp your quack cure. Yeah, I know. But I would say that uh, unequivocally, we are on the side. We are on the side of science. Um, we are on the side of. We are on the side of doctors. However, I will say that sometimes there are things in the universe you can't explain. Things sometimes come together, and so I'm not willing to, you know, rule that out. Anyway, if you want to, you can consider us your cancer buddies. We're going to tell you what happened, how we dealt with it in the moment, and now looking back, what we wish we would have known had we known. Yeah, our goal is to create something that we wish would have been around when we were going through this, so anyone listening to this won't feel so alone. Exactly. Oh, the other thing you might be wondering is where we came up with the name Chemo Skinny. Which we'll talk about later, because... Not all chemo makes you skinny. Yeah, I was going to say. I was not going to say that. 
I remember it pretty distinctly, um, which is, you know, it's not hard to. I was in the process of putting myself on tape, for those of you who are not in Hollywood land, as an actor, a lot of times you will self-tape at home, specifically if you can't get in the room or if producers are somewhere else. In this case, it was a project that my agent wanted to submit me for, pitch me for. Um, the role itself, uh, I felt, because it was uh, a semi-period piece, um, had this character that was kind of a gypsy. And so as a result, I had this bustier on because I felt it was kind of like wild and gypsy and um, and it had this, it had a lace-up corset. And as a result, I wanted to kind of push my boobs up a little bit because that's what you do. And I was in the process of, I think you were in the other room getting something because I was just getting my makeup and everything ready. And I went to lift up my right breast and right at the very bottom, I felt something. And I am not one who is someone who would do, you know, um, breast can- or breast checks. You know, you're supposed to do them. Uh, history of breast cancer does not, to my knowledge, run in my family. So it's not something that I've been really, I've ever really been concerned about. Um, I, like many other women, have dense breast tissue, I think, because I'm a fitness instructor. And, and I remember feeling what felt like a marble in a balloon of sand. Um, and I called you in and I'm like, honey, can you come feel something? <laughs> At which point you came in. I came in, and we have a version of this story we tell at cocktail parties, which isn't actually the truth. Uh, it's, hey, I thought I was going to get lucky, and I found out there was a tumor. Uh, it was more... Never let the facts get in the, the way of... Never let get in the way of a really good cocktail story. Exactly. But I came running in, and I I could tell something was wrong, and I felt it. And to me, it felt like a, a shrunken down Hot Wheel. <laughs> I think a that's hot wheel? A hot wheel, like a little car or something. It was really? Like, yeah, it was kind of long and weird and strange. Oh, wow. And, of course, uh, it was that immediate thing of, well, we're looking at something here. I guess the smartest thing to do will be to go online and Google it. <laughs> they always tell you that is the one thing. If, if there's one piece of advice and, you know, at the end of each of podcasts, we'll tell you what we we hoped we knew or wish we had known going in. Um but I think it's kind of a universal thing when it comes to medical issues. Do not Google things. You end up on WebMD deciding that you are dying of some rare, rare, like, Legionnaire's disease or something. So I called my doctor, and she said to come in. I, I came in, and she was like, okay, well, we're going to need to get an ultrasound on this. Or a mammogram. Both. It was a mammogram and an ultrasound. Okay. They did an ultrasound after the mammogram. Right. Um, and most women have had a mammogram, which is never a pleasant experience. And then directly after that, we went. I went and had a uh, an ultrasound to give it um, so that we could have a more definitive look at what was going on. And I will never forget. I don't believe you were with me. You might have been out in the in the hallway, but I knew I I I had a feeling it was something. I think that women, and I think myself. You know, I, I knew it was something, but the woman came in. She was like, um, you're going to have to go have this biopsied. And I was like, okay. So we set the appointment. Um, I think a week later, I went and got it biopsied. You go, you go and get it biopsied. And what happens is, is they basically find it with an ultrasound again. They slit your breast. They numb you up. They stick a needle inside with this little clicky thing, clicky, click. And it goes in, it takes a, and it's 
it looks like a big like straw. It is not pleasant. They put it in and you hear click, click, and they cut the tumor. And then they put a little tiny tag in there so that the next time you have a mammogram, they know that that's what it is. It's not something else that's, you know, something weird. And the way they know that is, is right after you've gone in and they've clicky click it, clicky clicked it, they send you to have another mammogram. And in this instance, my mammogram lady in the next thing was like, I felt like she was from like the old school Eastern block. She was like, you will do this. And I was like, ow, because also um, my tumor happened to be right by my nipple. So it was, even though I had anesthetic, it happened to be a little tender, a little more tender, I think, than anything else. And the next day after the procedure, I, the bruise I had on my boob looked like someone had taken me and just punched me over and over again. And it was just ugh, it was disgusting to look at. If you go to the website, not that you want to go look at disgusting things, there's actually a picture. It doesn't look anything like a nipple. It just looks like someone bruised the crap out of something. And it's interesting. Once they start leaving physical marks on your body, that's when it gets a little more real for the partner involved in this thing. It's like once you're all oh. bruised, it's really weird for the partner. You know, you <laughs> well, up until up until then, it's just uh, it's it's an intellectual construct. Yeah. We're talking about something that may or may not be dangerous. Eighty yeah. percent uh, of the time, according to Google, it turns out to be nothing. Yeah, that's true. Of course, math, in this case... was not on my side. I remember I got an email alert telling me the results were ready at 8.30 in the morning while I was teaching my class, and I had to call you and ask you to go in and look at the results because I couldn't get it from my phone, and so you had to read them to me as I was driving home from work. And you were the one who had to tell me as I was driving home <laughs> that the results were, it was cancer. Yeah, great day. Lovely, lovely day. That first week, well, it was two, it was a week and a half, that first week and a half. And, you know, it... What was going through your mind most of the time? I think what's not funny to me or semi-funny is I, being someone who's really healthy throughout my life, um, had gone through this big, when I found out that the tiny tumor on my thyroid was cancer had walked down that road of like, what if I die? They're going to cut my throat open. Like it was one of those things that I had done that thing that what happens is, is you, they give you the information or you find out and then everything just freezes. Mm -hmm. You kind of just, you're just in a, not even it's, that's what I find I do. Some people do other things. I, I just kind of freeze. Like everything goes cold. I'm good in I'm good in emergencies, I think, because everything just kind of goes cold and I go on autopilot and I seem to be able to function better than a lot of people. And I think you do the same thing. But when I found this, when I found the lump, I just knew. Like I knew, I knew it wasn't right. But I figured at this point, I was like, okay, I have breast cancer and it's going to be a lump and they're going to take it out and that's it's just going to be another surgery and it's yeah we were looking at it or i was looking at it like it's it's a delay in life's progress it's yeah. going to be a month or yeah. i i say that arbitrarily but it's going to be a set amount of time and then we're going to be done and it's going to be absolutely fine and we're just going to move on yeah but actually before that I was relatively convinced that it was going to be nothing because yeah. most of the time 
80% of the time, mm-hmm. a lump you find is completely benign or it goes away on its own and all that other fun stuff. So I am always, I never like to overreact. I like to think it's, okay, what's the science behind it? Let's play the odds. Right. Uh, so I was just, oh, this is a thing we're going to do and it's going to be fine and... It's exhausting to go to all these medical appointments, but it's going to be nothing, and we will have gone for no reason. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least that was the hope. I mean, I just, the year previous to this, like almost a year to the day, is I had had a year of people just dying. And, you know, my my uncle died, and my dad died, and my one of my good friends from college died. And it just, like at that point, I just felt like, I felt like I was so spent that I didn't have the energy to get worried about it because it just seemed like, you know, with so many people dying that the world had been so just like kind of blown out that I didn't know, like there was no logical thing of like, this is exactly what's going to happen. I knew, I knew from my parents because both my parents are dead and my mom, I felt, you know, when she had been re-diagnosed, didn't handle her stuff quickly enough or wasn't as, uh, not even aggressive, but as assertive about it, I felt that the one thing I was certain of is I will know what this is. I will know everything I can about it because the more I know about it, the less scared I'll be. But I also just, I think I had a healthy amount. I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm blessed with a healthy amount of denial <laughs> that I just, you know, again, I will freeze but I won't like circle, go down that drain into like, oh my God, into, oh, woe is me. Like I'll, I'll, I'll clean the house. I'll do like. Oh no, there was no woe is me. There was far too much medical research going on in our apartment for yeah anyone's mental health to be healthy. Yeah. I mean, but like, where do you, but what do you, like when I think back, I'm like, and it's, you know, it's happened before when other things happen. Like I find like I, again, I free, I, I'd freeze a little bit. And I don't get anything done. I just, it, but it's not, it's panic and it's anxiety, but it's like I pause, I put myself on pause to see if I can figure stuff out first before I allow myself to really react, I think. Right. And the strangest thing for me was I got to a point where it came back as positive, which was, you know, not the body blow, not the sink to your knees and cry in the shower kind of moment. It's like, oh, okay, I guess this was a possibility. Mm-hmm. And then it was part of my brain said, oh, it's just our turn. Because part of me felt it was just our turn. What do you mean our turn? <laughs> because horrible things happen to people all over the world. And bad things happen to your relatives and your friends and their different medical things. And we've been relatively healthy up to this point. I mean, I, bad things have happened to your family, but not to us. Not to, yeah, not and to me so personally, And so there's like, guess, oh, yeah. okay, it, our number just came up. Okay. And so now we're just going to have to to roll through this particular thing. I'm glad that you had, well, part of it's like, great. Like, I mean, I kind of looked at it as like, okay, so my mom died. And then, you know, the recessioner hit and we had to sell our house. And then, you know, we had to do this, we had to do this. And part of me was just like, I just need a span of time where no one dies, <laughs> um, including myself. Like, I mean, but that is one of those things. Like, you know, I, I mean, you say, you know, well, it just our number came up. And, you know, there was that part of me, there was, there was a part of me that felt incredibly seemingly zen about, well, 
I could die. And if I, like, I mean, there was a lot of that conversation going on where I'm like, and it almost felt like I just kind of, again, I say it's denial, but it almost felt like I just kind of stepped up a minute and all the bullshit that we worry about, I was like, whatever, mm-hmm. I'm fine, whatever, it doesn't matter, it does, that's not it important. Does give you, yeah, it does give you some perspective on all the little crap in your life. Yeah, like becomes- all the things that I get super, like I could get super upset and passionately upset about just just didn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. And people who, you know, and people, and also people who lived on, you know, sometimes, I know we're, we're not supposed to get woo but they talk about like energy levels and stuff, people who live on frequencies, they talk about frequencies, um, but live on a higher frequency. But, you know, just people who were, were really petty and just, you know, got great joy in that kind of thing. I just, I just did not take any pleasure in, I mean, not that I necessarily did before as, you know, but as you, cause as you grow, you hope you grow out of stuff like that. Like, you know, schadenfreude is not supposed to be something that you're, you know, you're delving into hopefully, but you know. Yeah. You get to a point where there, there are very few fucks left to give and nothing matters nearly as much as the, the crisis you're looking at, but it's also a very strange crisis because it's not, it's something bad has happened. We're going to go to the hospital and it's going to get fixed. Yeah. And so much of it is is the waiting and the testing and all that. It's not like, you know, a fire in your house and you have to run in and drag someone out. It's, yeah. there's going to be a fire in your house if you don't deal with this. So. Yeah. There, there was something so mercenary about it because my father had passed away. He had left me some money. And I was like, well... If I will not die, it could be his death has saved my life. Like, and I, you know, I mean, there were so many other, so many thoughts in that way. Um, Well, you start to do really hard math. Yeah. You know, and some of the math is uh, not necessarily unfun. Uh, I remember trying to figure out what your funeral playlist was going to be with you. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, you start to. No free bird. Yeah. Well. You start to make the calculations. Oh, God, no journey. No you journey. Start, i got to say that right now. You, so start, it's you start to make the calculations of what you're, the boxes you are going to have to tick off. And your emotions, you know, the, the part of you that, uh, that might want to freak out, that is given very little space in your life. Yeah. Because you just don't have time for that kind of stuff. I, I know you cried at least once. I never cried about me, I guess. And, you know, part of that is, is I said over and over again, the thing that would break me, you know, break me up is I, when I found out that I, you know, it was, it was positive is all I could think was, thank God my parents are dead. Thank God my parents are dead. So they don't have to go through this. You know, I, and, you know, then the next thought is my brothers who've already had to deal with both my parents dying and you and, but I was like, but. You know, Happy to have made the list, by the way. Oh, no, it's not that. It's I mean, we don't have kids, and we'll talk about you know, whether we decide to have kids or whatever because that came up later. But it really was something that kind of grounded me because I watched my my grandmother lose her daughter, and I've watched you know my friends lose their son, and like I was just so glad that I, I wouldn't be that burden. But okay, again. But in looking at that, you know, I can look back now and say that. But, you know, in the midst of it, 
in the midst of it, like I can look back and be like, oh, that's how I felt. Because in the midst of it, I was like, just keep going. I mean, you said once it's it's just like you're, you've got a fire. You just got to get get the fire out and get the hell out of the house. Like, oh n- yeah, you know what I mean? the, like, when 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 people start calling you a hero for surviving uh, <laughs> surviving breast cancer, and it's like, no, 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 no. The heroes are the ones who run into the burning building. The only thing you did, and I love you, but you ran out of a burning building. Yeah, you self preservation to me is not necessarily heroic. Which, by the way, is not necessarily something people who are trying to be sympathetic to you while you have cancer want to hear. But we'll get into that Neither. in the very near future. Yeah. So looking back, what lessons did you learn that you wish you had known way back in the day? Now that my hindsight is now that because hindsight is twenty twenty. Um you know, I look at the first diagnosis in terms of Looking back as we like dive into how we felt, like it's it's easier to see how you felt then, um, because you were so we were so just try to maintain calm, and I think I'm trying to maintain calm for you, and you're trying to maintain calm for me, and we're telling who we need to tell. You know, I think the smartest thing we did or I did, you know, you can survival rates increase by getting there faster, so. So often people are like, they feel something and they don't act on it because they're scared. Um, I mean, that's, I think, where I think if we're going to win a big star for things we might do right is we're, we're both people who are just like, you know what, just I need to face it. Just tell me what it is because a known, a known quantity is so much less scary than the unknown. Right. But that is something that we did. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself and say hey, I'm from the future, this is what you need to do better or differently, what would you tell yourself? In that first week, um, I did everything right. Now, I mean, like literally I think back is, I mean, I think the overall over overarching rule is don't Google things. Just don't. Generally, just don't Google it. That's That, that would be the big thing of stay off the Google. Just stay off the Google. Um, if you are going to have to look up stuff about breast cancer, go to breastcancer.org, go to, you know, go to, go to things that specialize. Don't go to WebMD. Don't like, do not type breast cancer into your computer Yeah, because the, the pictures that come up will probably make you throw up in your mouth a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, because I mean, Google in itself, I think in that same way is kind of, you know. It, it, you get more hits on things that are uh, that are mm-hmm. terrifying, um, but yeah, I mean, like if you're gonna look things up and you think it's cancer or whatever, you go to, you know, you go to the American Cancer Society, you go to breast cancer, like those were the things. Susan Love Foundation. I would have said just don't Google, but I think you know when I look back, I think what I tell myself is a good job for just saying, take a deep, taking a deep breath and going in and doing it. Okay. I don't know. What about you? My lesson would be, and I would pass this on as advice to anybody who finds himself in a similar situation. uh, As the partner? As the partner, you're going to feel useless. And you pretty much are. In the first week? In the first little bit. The only thing you are actually good for is hand-holding and listening and driving to doctor's appointments and being a second set of ears uh, and asking questions that other people forget. 
uh, that your partner forgets because their heads are swimming and it's your job to be the logical one and make sure there's food in the pantry and, you know, the cable bill gets paid because you can't really expect them to do a lot of other stuff. But that will not preclude you from feeling like just a, a, a lump, a bystander in this cancer thing that's going past. But the stuff you do in those moments is actually really, really important. You can't do anything about the tumor. Mm-hmm. You can't perform surgery. No. Nope. Uh, all you can do is say, okay, that's enough time on the laptop now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're going to go watch some bad TV. Yeah. Not Grey's Anatomy because it could be a cancer episode. I, I think there was one. And actually. just try to steer the boat in a better direction uh, and keep your fingers crossed. Yeah. You, I mean, you said, you know, you, the only thing you can do is be somebody who goes to the doctor's appointment, you know, in addition to not Googling, like, the smart thing I did was take you with, you know, the cancer, with the breast cancer diagnosis. Is that the mistake I made is when I went to, for my follow-up um, in my thyroid, I didn't go and I was like, it's not a big deal, it's baby cancer. And then the next thing I knew, it was like legit cancer, I needed surgery. So I would say the big rule that I had to relearn is always take someone with you, ideally someone who is, you know, Canadian Mennonite and has no emotions. <laughs> no, no, you need somebody, but it does help. I mean, I I learned it because I went with my mom as that person who could kind of shut my emotions down and ask the necessary questions and be an advocate when sometimes you just, I, you can't necessarily fully be an advocate for yourself and you need somebody to do that. All right. So what you're saying is that I'm the real hero of the story? Well... For episode one, perhaps, you did have to tell me while I was driving home that I had breast cancer. Yeah, it was really tougher on me than on her. <laughs> so that's our time. Oh, that's me. I know, but I'm going to... So that's our time. But in future episodes, we're going to tell you, obviously, what happened next. And, and talk about things like super hot doctors. And watching those super hot doctors put their super hot hands all over your super hot wife. Oh, you're so sweet. Your sex drive or super lack thereof. Right. Uh, Surgery. And when is it okay to leave the hospital waiting room to try and get some coffee? Post-surgery drainage bags. That's going to be a good one to tune in for. That's a good story. Uh, Dealing with people who Who are are dealing dealing with you. Dealing with cancer. Or or what am I going to do with 1,000 hand-folded origami cranes? Yeah, the gift-receiving portion of surviving cancer is a whole chapter unto itself. I know. Uh, Fake silicon nipples and where to shop for them. Post-cancer dildos. Seriously. And how to react to the phrase... But no, really, how are you doing? When you've heard it for the billionth time. Yeah, it gets kind of tedious. But we hopefully will not. So all that and more coming up on Chemo Chemo Skinny. Skinny, The podcast you hope you never need to hear. 